I was not moving my head too much, but I was looking in the rear view mirror to see if there were two big men who were gonna come get me. He said, I am trusting you to wear my wedding ring for a week. I can't say no to this. This guy is out all powerful. If I say no, then I get punished. There was a different target every time, uh, but you never knew when it was going to be you. She was just pale. She wasn't okay. And I, I had to be a party to this. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools was a major player in the so-called troubled teens industry, operating dozens of rehabilitation centers and reform schools all over the United States. They made millions of dollars per year rehabilitating at-risk youths until a number of former students, including Paris Hilton and Kat Von D, came forward with horrific stories of extreme abuse by staff members at the schools. Spring Creek Lodge Academy was one of the most notorious facilities, and former student Cammie joins us today to share her experience living at Spring Creek for a year and a half in the late 90s. Now, Cammie's story can be very very graphic at times and maybe triggering for some people. So viewer discretion is highly advised. Welcome to the cult of troubled teens. So it was the nineties. Uh, I was living in uh, the Bay area, California. So near San Francisco, about 20 minutes without traffic, probably like two hours with traffic from San Francisco. Um, and I, my family was Mormon. Uh, and so I had a lot of influences from all over the place, um, but my, my family was very uh, conservative. And so when I was 15, I started smoking um, fairly often. Uh, I did acid a couple of times um, and I was ditching school. I definitely wasn't going to school. So uh, I was, I was definitely having some problems. Um, and I would say that all of that was really at the root of it was just a really profound depression. Um, I was really sad uh, and I didn't know how to talk about it. And uh, I was desperate to kind of escape my own mind at that time. And so I think that my drug use was self-medicating. Um, I have some really vague memories of abuse from when I was really small. Uh, and also mm. when I was just on the cusp of puberty, I think between 12 and 14, I had hit my head twice. Um, once in a car accident, uh, I broke the windshield twice with my forehead. I was probably 14, 13 or 14 then. And then I, uh, another time I dived into a pool and I, I didn't know how shallow it was. And I hit my head and, um, oh, wow. you know, we didn't, yeah, we didn't know much about traumatic brain injury at that time, but now we know that um, it often leads to depression. But here I was right. just a kid left with this feeling of, why am I like this? Why am mm -hmm. I so miserable? And again, I think that's what led to the, uh, to the drug use. Um, mm. But I should also preface that with, um, I was a real nerd at 15. <laughs> And I was very protective of like the health of my body and mind. And so I went to the public library because we didn't have the internet, not really. Um, and I researched all the drugs and I made a yes column and I made a no column. And I, I'm 42 now and I have stuck to that list the entire time. So where 
I didn't know that it was psychologically addictive. That wasn't really in the literature that I read. So I was a little shocked by that to find that I was doing it every day and I wasn't stopping. But I had limited myself. I even decided that alcohol wasn't something that I was going to do because of the effects on your brain and, you know, alcoholism. Mm. Uh, so I didn't want an addiction, um, but I did want to try some products. And, and so that was where I was coming from. But my mom had, you know, she was really steeped in kind of Reagan era messaging that said that smoking, that's a gateway drug. And, you know, they genuinely thought I'd be dead in a ditch in no time, you know. So, right, yeah, right. but I, I never have done any other drug. You know, I haven't done, I haven't tried anything else just because I am really picky about that kind of thing. Like what I put in my body. You know what else is interesting about that, Cami? Uh, because I grew up in a very conservative Christian household as well. And the rules are extremely strict. Uh, there's so much rigidity uh, in that type of environment, right? And so when you start yes. experimenting, like any normal teenager is going to do, um, there's a tendency in these types of fundamental religious groups to immediately react and overreact. Uh, yes. So it sounds like, yeah. you know, you were just kind of going through normal adolescent stuff. Um, yeah. And there was a strong reaction <laughs> from your parents, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. And I, you know, yes, the depression was intense. Um, and you just reminded me of something like, I think another reason that I was depressed was because my family was Mormon. And I, from literally my earliest memories, some of my earliest memories are questioning the church and just going, this doesn't feel right. I don't think it's true. I, you know, and when you are surrounded by people who are not only telling you that your instincts are wrong, but also telling you that it's a moral failing that you feel that way, that maybe, mm -hmm. you know, God is punishing you or you haven't asked sincerely. That's a really big thing. I mean, I was spending nights on my knees sobbing through my entire teenagerhood. Please give me a testimony. Please, God, let, mm -hmm. let me know that this is true. And I never got an answer. And everybody around me, or at least, you know, the people in my immediate family and uh, friends, all had a testimony. They all believed that the church was true. I mean, not my friends that I chose, but you know, my family. And so I think that was a huge contributor to depression, just feeling like I had to suppress what I really believed, you know? So yeah, <laughs> I think that was part of it. Oh too. yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's so relatable. And once again, especially at this age, you know, when the hormones are kicking in and you're starting to realize things for yourself and thinking independently, right? You were just having, yeah. you know, maybe a little mini existential crisis at that point. So you've got this, you've got this crisis happening, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, your parents, I'm assuming, found out that, that you were experimenting with uh, plant-based medicine, let's call it. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> uh, that's what precipitated them sending you to, to spring Creek at that point. Yeah. So, and actually I, I, they told me about it. They told me, uh, that they wanted to send me to this program. It was actually a therapist, um, who sent like four or five of my friends. Uh, they really targeted wealthy areas and the Bay area is a wealthy area. And so, you know, sure. knowing that our parents had the means to pay for it, uh, they had therapists on the ground who were, you know, recommending this. 
Later, it was, you know, education consultants who were more doing that. I don't, I don't know if they existed when I was young. My grandparents took me and I think they fought really hard to be able to take me uh, because the program wanted you to get gooned. You know, they wanted to send two big men to your house in the middle of the night and take you. I think that cost, I mean, upwards now of around $10,000. I'm not sure how much it was when I was young, but my grandparents were pretty cheap and they're like, no, we can handle her. She's not going to run away. Let us take her. Uh, so yeah, my grandparents took me up and I, and I think they also wanted to see the place and wanted to see the kids and see if it looked like people were being right. abused. Um, and mm, yeah, I just have a lot of thoughts about that, but yeah, they took me and I went willingly because in my life, my, my parents' friends really liked me. You know, my teachers all liked me. It seemed like nobody really thought I was this huge problem except for my own mom. It felt like she disapproved of everything I did, everything I was, everything I liked. And um, so I was just kind of desperate to get out of that situation where I was feeling so disapproved of, I guess. And I thought for sure, like I'm a really reasonable person and I'm not um, super disrespectful to adults. And so I just thought, yeah, if I go to some boarding school, then I'm gonna do great. You know, there's no reason mm. they shouldn't like me. And I just had no idea that anything like Spring Creek existed in the world. I had no idea. Why would I imagine it would be like that? I mean, I was imagining meeting boys and doing like theater mm -hmm. stuff and, you know, doing artsy stuff and maybe learning like an instrument in a beautiful place with trees. I love trees, you know, I'm like a nature lover. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like I was really excited to go. What was that, that intake process like for you? What was, what was that experience? Well, you know, um, so, it was really strange. I think they were a little understaffed the day that I arrived. Um, and they had a 13 year old girl do my intake. Um, they had a staff member kind of standing in the doorway. She didn't seem to know what she was doing. She was brand new. Um, and so they just had this 13 year old girl going through my stuff, my underwear, you know, uh, and just making this discard pile. And I, I was just looking at this girl like, dude, you're, you're, for, I thought she was 11 or 12 because like in the program, they kind of just erased any personality or style, you know? So I thought she was like 11 or 12. Right. And, and so I was asking her, I was like, oh, are you like one of the staff's kids or like what's going on? And, and she's like, I'm level five. And I was like, okay. And, and so she's going through all my stuff and I'm just like, why is a 13 year old doing this? But I was going to be cool about it. And I was trying to be nice to her. You know, I, I thought, oh, you know, I'm this cool older kid. She's probably like intimidated. That's why she's being so cold. Um, but she's like going through my CDs and just throwing my CDs in the discard pile and, you know, my Nirvana t-shirts and like, Oh no. What the vintage yeah. Nirvana t-shirts. Oh, Nirvana t like <laughs> that hurts my heart. I. And I remember before I went, I didn't bring the Nevermind t-shirt with the little penis showing. And I didn't bring the in utero t-shirt with the like see-through woman. I just brought the one uh -huh. with the smiley face. And I was like, how can they disapprove of that? But whatever. So that's when I first started getting an inkling. Wow, this is kind of crazy. 
And I had two books. I had Les Mis, uh, which, yeah, I was reading that book. And I had Train Spotting. Those are two very different pieces of literature, Cami. <laughs> I know. I know. I was a weird kid. I loved to read. So I was just like, and I thought there would be books there. So I just brought two. Anyway, she like opened Train Spotting and she's like, <gasps> she's like, I should get you in trouble for even having this. I was like, okay. And she, you know, threw those in the discard pile. So, so, I mean, I wasn't that horrified by that because I actually had been in um, kind of like an adolescent psych ward for a week because my mom called the police when she found out that I was smoking weed, which they were laughing about. But my mom had also called all of my friend's parents and told them what their kids, because I was a journaler, like I was, I was a write, you know, I had a hypergraphia, like I would write about everything, which is so stupid. I can't believe I did that. But she called all of my friends' parents. And so my friends were mad at me and she just like kind of ripped away my support system. So when mm. the police arrived, I was crying really hard and I couldn't stop crying. And I think they were like getting ready to get off shift. They were there for like an hour. And finally they're like, okay, looks like you guys can't seem, cause my mom's yelling at me and stuff. They're like, we're just gonna put her in this hospital, right? And so I ended up um, at this adolescent psych ward and there they had strip searched me and everything, but they really explained it well. Like they said, you know, we're not trying to like make this undignified for you, but there's girls here who have problems with self-harm and drugs and stuff. And we really just wanna keep everybody safe. So that's why we're, you know, going through your stuff and making sure there's nothing sharp. And so that just felt really caring to me. So when I was strip searched at the program, they weren't as nice about it. In fact, they were kind of rude, but I just thought, mm. okay, it's because they care. It's because they don't want anybody to hurt themselves or whatever. So I still didn't think it was all that terrible, but yet, so then they took me into the kind of cafeteria, they called it the hungry horse to introduce me to my family. Um, and just looking at these girls, I was like, holy shit, like they do not look okay. Like it was just, they were wiped of all personality. Um, their hair was all stringy. Their eyes looked dead. I, I don't know if you spent a lot of time with people who are really experiencing like serious mental health problems, but just this thousand yard, really weird stare None of them were allowed to speak to me. So, um, and I had already gotten in trouble for, for walking through a doorway without permission. You have to ask permission to walk through every doorway and um, for asking a question. So speaking without permission. So I was already a little bit like, okay, that's weird. And then I see these girls and then they all started introducing themselves. And so that would sound something like this, like the staff allowed them to introduce themselves. So we sat in a circle and they were like, so this is the way I would introduce myself in the program. Hi, I'm Cami. I'm level one. Um, I'm an honest, worthy, giving, powerful and passionate young woman. Uh, I'm here because I disrespected my parents and I was smoking weed and ditching school and I had no self-respect and, you know, I was an attention suck and a slut or something like that. And then, you know, I've been here three months or something. And then, so it, it just went around this circle and then they asked me to introduce myself. And as soon as I did, all the girls like shot up their hands and I was like, whoa. And the staff were like, you guys are on silence. Don't give her feedback. Not right now. And I was like, what was that? 
And so right after that, the door opens and this guy walks in and um, it was Chafin, who's like the co-director. And he's like, he's like, oh, where's the new girl? And everybody's like, it's her. And, and so he runs over to me. He's like, girl, stand up, give her feedback. And he's like, new girl, stand on the table. And I was like, what? And he's like, stand up on the table. And I, I was like, what are you even talking about? Like, I was already kind of crying, you know, I was like scared in a new place. And, and so I was like, okay. So I stood up on this table and he's like, give her feedback girls. And all of these girls just kind of looks like, we don't want to. And, um, and so then, then he, he like understood that he had made like kind of an unpopular request. Like nobody wanted to give me feedback. I didn't even know what that was. So then he goes, um, he goes, okay, sing her happy birthday because it was my 16th birthday. And so oh, wow. I'm standing on this table. Yeah, I forgot to mention it was my 16th birthday. So I'm standing on this table, <sighs> bawling, just sobbing, just a mess. You know, all my clothes had been taken away. I was embarrassed to be introduced to this new group of girls in these like ugly preppy clothes my mom had picked out for me. And all, suddenly they're like, and it's like this, it's like, happy birthday to like just these dead faced girls and i'm up there bawling my eyes out and then and he's just laughing and he goes oh i heard you chose to come here is it everything you thought it would be ah ha ha and and then he just leaves and it it was just the weirdest like most surreal i don't know that like, just sounds diabolical a little bit like intentionally oh, mean <laughs> So, yeah, um, but I mean, like, if you just read about that on paper, you just feel like, so they sang her happy birthday. Like, what's the big deal? <laughs> Nobody made right. me stand on a table to do it, but whatever. Okay. I was still trying to like calm myself down. I was like, it's not a big deal, you know, whatever. So we went through the rest of the day and the entire time we're not allowed to talk at all. And as you can probably tell, I'm a talker. So that was a little bit hard for me. Nobody, it's just, we go to class totally silent. Nobody's allowed to talk. You're not allowed to look around at each other. You're not allowed to look out the window. That's run plans. You know, um, if you look at another student, that's cheating. Like, so that was really crazy, but, um, huh. but sorry, I'm trying to like come back to what I've noticed is when I talk about the program and keep in mind, this is 25 years later, a lot of times I find that I'm not like breathing steadily. Mm. And I find I get really animated. And then afterward, I forget everything that I said. And I just can't remember mm. any, you know, and I get into like a really heightened state. And uh, I don't know how long it's been since I've been talking. <laughs> so I apologize. No, 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 you're fine. So so this first day was was obviously extremely traumatic for you. Um, just getting used to a new environment yeah. on your 16th birthday, the, you know, the expectations that you had going in completely shattered, not at all what you thought this program was going to be, yes. not the, yeah. the fun little vacation, uh, that was pitched to you, but you were in this thing for, for one and a half years. So can you give me some, some insight just as far as what that time was like for you? So for three days, it was just complete silence um, with uh, these girls. I didn't get to talk to any of them. I didn't get to know any of them. And the program just, it, it has rules literally governing everything you do. For us, it was no speaking without permission, no going through a doorway without permission, no standing up without permission, no sitting down without permission. Um, it, 
you could get consequences for facial expressions. You could get consequences for bad posture. You could get consequences for nonverbal communication. Uh, we had to walk in lines where it was like, here's the person ahead and here's the person behind. And you literally have to match their steps. It's called a heel toe line. And in a line with girls of different sizes, you know, I would have some girls, butt pushing my stomach back when we stopped and some girl, you know, like her, I would be like in the shoulder blades of that girl. It, it was just really hard, even just like walking from place to place. So, um, and you just get consequences left and right. So basically my, my very first day I was like, okay, I can see this is bigger than me. I am literally going to conform so hard that they will have no choice but to let me out. Like I will do everything they say. I will try my hardest to do everything they want me to do. Um, and so that's how I went in. Cause I was just like, this is a nightmare, but I can see they, they also really put a very strong sales pitch on your parents and they tell your parents, you need to write your kid a letter a commitment letter that says you are finishing this program. You're graduating this program. We absolutely will not take you out early. And then I've seen the paperwork of like the other things they say to the parents and they say like, what kind of a weak parent are you if you made that commitment and then you let your kid come home early? Um, and so, hmm. so I knew like, okay, I'm in it to win it. Like I'm going to do whatever it takes to get out of here as quickly as possible. Um, and, and so I was trying to follow all the rules, but I was still getting, you know, consequences left and right, just constant punishment and loss of points and everything like that. Um, but that's all I, you know, I didn't get to talk to anybody or anything for three days. We didn't even have group because they were having a silence challenge. So there was literally like no sound at any moment. But um, three days in on my third night at a probably about three in the morning, we didn't have uh, access to clocks or anything. So I don't know the actual time, but about three in the morning, that guy Chafin came into our cabin, told us to get up, told us to get dressed, um, told us that we wouldn't need a coat or anything uh, and, and took us outside. Um, our normal day staff were not there. So there were no adult women present. It was him and a, a kid from the boys side who was 17 maybe. And he marched us down to this place they called the gravel pit. And um, it was raining and sleeting, um, very cold. <laughs> you know, we were in t-shirts and uh, had us do just several hours of very, um, very strenuous exercise. Uh, for example, you know, they'd, we'd be doing push-ups and they'd be pushing down on our backs, you know, um, with our hands in this freezing cold water. Uh, he, he wanted us to build, um, sorry, I've got a fly in here. Uh, he wanted us to build a six foot by six foot by six foot uh, rock wall, but all there was there was gravel. So we were just trying to push gravel together. And then he got mad at us because we didn't build our rock wall. Um, and and so all this was going on, but I was like a pretty athletic kid. Uh, I loved exercise. I loved being outside. So even though all the other girls were crying and stuff like that didn't really I wasn't bothered by this situation. I was kind of like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, let's go. Finally, we're doing something at least because it'd been three days of just total robot silence. Um, and then he did at the very end, he did kind of a race where the 17 year old boy had to rush us around. And I just kind of felt like, okay, at least we're doing something like that. That would be considered abusive. I'm sure by a lot of people, but to me, I was like, 
cool. Um, but then he marched us back to our cabin and um, got us in a circle. And I thought, I thought, okay, we just did this hard thing. Maybe now we're off that silence challenge. Like maybe they'll give us like hot chocolate and I'll finally get to talk to these girls. And, you know, maybe we'll get to sleep in because every day we would get up at like six and have three minutes to make our bed and three minutes to shower. And so I just thought, oh, yay, things are going to get better now. Uh, but he had us, you know, it was probably the sun was coming up. So it's like five or six in the morning and he had us get in a circle and um, and uh, give feedback. Uh, and what that looked like for the girls who'd been there a while and kind of knew each other was mostly like encouragement. You know, they would say, oh, uh, I saw your leadership skills out there or whatever. Um, and so I thought, wow, you know, I'm the new girl and, uh, and I did really well. You know, I, I was running really fast and I did all these push-ups and I kept up with everybody, even though they've been doing this for months and I, you know, am fresh off the street. So I, I kind of expected to get some of that uh, praise too. But while we're standing in the circle, um, the guy Chafin stepped forward and he like lowers his voice. He told everybody to stand up and he, he steps, he's right here in my face and I can smell his breath, you know, and he lowers his voice and he goes, he goes, Cammy, your name offends me. And I'm like, like, what? <laughs> and he goes, uh, my sister-in-law's name is Cammy, and she's so great. And my brother's name is Cameron and he's awesome. And, and I can't believe they share a similar name as you. And I, wow. I was just like shocked, you know, I'm a 16 year old girl and I thought I just did really good. And I've been trying so hard to follow all the rules. And, and so he just steps back and I just was like, what? And then it was just fair game. Mm. Sorry just a free-for-all you know one by one every one of these girls steps forward and just starts screaming in my face and i didn't know any of them you know but like i had i had cried a lot um over the previous three days i'd been crying a lot and so that came up a lot oh you're such a cry baby what they called it was ppm poor pitiful me um you make me sick. I hate even being in the same room as you. Like you are disgusting. Uh, and then just making like, you know, uh, guesses kind of about my, what I'd been doing before I got there and calling me a slut and just on it. it it's, I don't know how long it went on, but wow. you know, for a very, a very long time, uh, or it felt like a very long time. And I was just so in shock. And, um, and so like one of them was like, you're smirking. And I was like, how could I be smirking? Like I'm so, but I didn't, I wasn't allowed to say anything. If I said something, they go, no rebuttals. Like the whole group would just scream it all at once. No rebuttals. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, then one girl said, oh, you know, like you act like you're so sad, but actually you're a bitch, I can tell. And she's like, push everybody, you have to push everybody. And so like, I had to push all the girl, you know, like until they stumbled back and, oh, you're not even, that's not who you are. Like, you're really angry. Like you gotta push them harder. So I'm like pushing all these girls that I just, I've hung, I've been with them 24 seven for the, or for the last three days. Uh, I don't know them at all. We haven't had a chance to talk. And now I'm physically accosting them because they're making me do that. 
So mm. yeah, it was really crazy. And then at the very end, Chafin, Chafin goes, okay, Cammy, you need to kneel down. Um, and I want you to put your nose where the wall and the floor meet, like in that little corner. And uh, if you want to know how hard that is, give it a try next time you're in a room with a wall and a floor. But um, it's it was really awkward. You know, my butt was up in the air. My nose was, I was sneezing. I hit my nose and it was bleeding. And I'm like in this corner and he just, he just left me there. And I was still there, wow. you know, all my muscles straining, trying to keep my nose in the corner until uh, the day staff came back and they were just like, okay, I guess you can get up now. Like, it was just really crazy. So, oh my God, that was my third day. <laughs> wow. So, so that kind of disciplinary action was routine for the entire year and a half that you were there. You know, it wasn't always me. There was a different target every time, uh, but you never knew when it was going to be you. Uh, oh. So just that living on pins and needles uh, constantly. Um, also, you know, we had to share in group. Uh, and so you, usually every day there would be an hour of group with your family. I think we didn't do it on Sundays. Um, and so you would have to share and man, we were 16 year old upper middle class, you know, like we didn't have a lot to share. And, um, the things that maybe I, I should have shared, like if I were in therapy, for example, I wouldn't share there because you really had to know that the thing that you were sharing was something where you could control the narrative. Um, because so I see. group was like this one girl would, or girls would raise their hand who wants to share and one girl would share and then everybody would give her feedback. And I, you know, 80% of the time it was, it was really negative. So if you shared, Oh, I had a sexual assault, you know, uh, Oh, I bet. Oh my gosh. The way you dressed before you got here, I bet you were asking for it. Like, what did you do? You led that guy on. That's why you were assaulted or you didn't take any responsibility for, you know, the sexual assault or whatever. Um, and you know, you would think like, we would be like, okay, I'm never going to share because all we get is shit, you know, if we share anything, but, uh, right. but you had to share, or they would say that you were being invisible and that you weren't working your program. And that just meant that you were going to be stuck there for God knows how long you had, you had to share They would call so you had to be very calculated oh, about how you shared with the group. Well, I was <laughs> not everybody was, and boy, did they get punished, punished for that man. Like, mm. I, I mean, I became so strategic in that program. I mean, from day one, I was gathering clues and just figure, okay, what do I have to do here? Uh, but a lot of girls weren't. And the girls who had like genuine mental health problems, mm. uh, it was really bad for them. So this wasn't, this wasn't a licensed therapist situation. This was- Oh God, no. Like a no. group exercise. No. Okay. No. Mm. And in fact, our family therapist um, had no, so she, she was kind of the liaison between the kid and the, and your family at home. And they called her a family therapist. I think later they, you know, knew that was illegal. So they started calling them a family rep, but they had no qualifications. Uh, 
And mm. I've since gotten a hold of some of the paperwork for these people. Uh, and they were, they were really salespeople. Like that was their job was yeah. to convince if parents were starting to lose their nerve or to say, no, I think I want my kid home now. Their job was to use every means necessary to manipulate and convince those parents not to let their kid come home um, and to graduate the program, which the program has total control over that. They control how many consequences you get. They control if you get dropped. Um, I have so actually, I would love to, I could send it to you and you could do a screenshot or something. Um, but just the things that they said to the parents to keep kids in were just crazy. And meanwhile, um, we had zero uh, open communication with our parents. Um, we had to write one letter a week to our parents, but so we would get like 20 minutes a day, I think it was to work on our letter. And at the end of the week, you would give it to the staff and the staff would read it. And if you said something that they said was manipulation, they'd rip it up and you would get a category two consequence, which could result in level drops for not writing to your family. Um, so they would just rip everything up and then anything that was coming in, they would mark out with a black marker or, um, wouldn't give you, you know, like, obviously I couldn't get letters from my friends. I could only get letters from my family. Um, and then phone calls, uh, when you got to a high, high enough level to get one, I got one without, within like a month. Cause I was like really doing whatever I could to work this program. But the family rep would literally sit there with her phone on the, or with her finger on the receiver. So if I said something like, this place is terrible, please get me out, she'd hang up, which I never did because by mm. then I knew the score, right? So you had zero communication with your parents, um, open communication. Yeah, it sounds like all the communication was was censored. It was monitored. It was managed. Yes. Um, and, yeah. and, and you, were, you didn't have the ability to, uh, to have a voice. Uh, at all. There is no way to get the word out about what was happening. If, yeah. if I had even had the words to say, Hey, this is abuse. And I didn't at that time, uh, to me, abuse was hitting and, you know, beating somebody up. I didn't know there was physical or, or sorry, I didn't know there was emotional or, you know, verbal abuse. Um, but if you, there was no way to tell anybody what was going on. You, you know, that, that's one of the, the questions that I, that I had actually, Cammy. you know, some of the, the other stories that I've, that I've read, that I've heard, uh, talk to some of the, um, the physical abuse, um, including, uh, abuse that's sexual in nature. Did, did you, did you witness or experience any of that, uh, at, at Spring Creek? No, I, I didn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I okay. mean, I've thought about that because I actually, even while I was in the program, I knew it was happening to other girls. Uh, I had heard rumors that other girls were being sexually abused by staff, um, but it never happened to me. And I'm like, huh, was I just not attractive enough for them? Or was it um, that they knew that I would crumble like a cookie the second, you know, that I would tell somebody? immediately. I just had such a guilt complex or whatever, but there was at least one girl who had a sexual relationship with, um, with her family therapist who was not really a therapist. Uh, but there was, for example, you know, I told you about my third day when Chafin took us out and ran us around and then the feedback and then the nose in the corner. Um, I think it was the next day we were having group and he comes running in and, and he had a heart shaped 
like a piece of paper with in a heart shape that he had burned around the edges and colored with a crayon and he had written on it true beauty comes from within or something like that and he had tied his wedding ring to a piece of yellow yarn that was tied also on this piece of paper and he gave it to me like a valentine mm -hmm. and um he said i am trusting you to wear my wedding ring for a week what yeah like what the fuck? i mean i if i hadn't lived it i wouldn't believe it you know if, if somebody was telling me this story i'd be like why would he do that that is so weird yeah that's so strange especially coming from the guy that said he was offended by your name um just yeah so bizarre yeah and he's married he's a bat he's got a kid you know i i was just and and everybody around me because it's happening in groups so uh, there's witnesses and everybody's going, oh, that's so sweet. Oh, Candy, like you're so lucky. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, like what is this? And so I'm like, oh. And I started crying because I was like, there's no, I can't say no to this. This guy is out all powerful. If I say no, then I get punished forever. God knows how long, right. you know? Mm -hmm. I'd seen enough. I knew enough by this. So I just, oh. and I put it on and I had to wear that shit for a week. So, you know, that's not sexual abuse. He never touched me, but that's fucking weird. Did, did, they, uh, did they utilize any types of uh, solitary confinement uh, at the Spring Creek yeah. facility? Yeah, they called it The Hobbit. Um, and I, oh. The Hobbit, yeah. That didn't happen to me while I was there because, again, I was like 100% like really, really careful um, it didn't save me from most things, but it saved me from that. But I did work as a junior staff once I got on level four in The Hobbit. And uh, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I don't even know how to describe it. Just the boys would tend to be more physical. Um, some would, you know, smear their feces on the walls. Uh, some would make themselves bleed. One guy like wrote, let freedom ring on the wall the girls were more just you could just see because my job was to sit outside the door i wasn't allowed to talk to them or interact with them at all um peek through the window every once in a while make sure they were alive and breathing i guess and then take them to the bathroom uh and these girls after even just a day in there but several days i can't even describe the look in their eyes i can't even mm. just you don't see it. You don't see that look in everyday life. Um, there was one girl who I hope it's okay to talk about this, but she was on her period. She'd been bleeding for a month. She was using two super tampons every oh, time. No. I think it was just a physiological response to the trauma she was going through. They never took her to the doctor and she was just pale. Mm. She wasn't okay. And I, I had to be a party to this. I had to be the one watching the door and taking her to the bathroom. And just like, if I said anything to her, you know, I couldn't guarantee that she wouldn't tell anybody that I'd said something. So it just, it's one thing to like witness abuse. It's another thing to have to like play a role in it. Right. Against your will. And this was just you being on staff like this. It, it was, it was just part of, you working the program within Spring Creek. 
yeah. right? Like this, this was during the year and a half time that you were there. Yeah. I got you. There's no way you're getting out without being junior staff, basically. Um, so hmm. you had to do stuff like that, but I actually did, I did experience solitary, uh, not for the reasons that other people did. There were a series of seminars that you had to get through in order to progress in the levels and to eventually go home. And I had just gone through with flying colors, all of them, because again, I was watching and I was figuring out, okay, what do you want from me? I'll do it. Like, you know, um, and not all the kids were that lucky, like not all of them. And, and some of them who I honestly, I really admire this just rebelled from day one. You know, they were just like, fuck this place. Mm. It's horrible. You know, but I was really, uh, I really tried to do whatever they wanted. Anyway, I think it was the fourth seminar. Um, they started with a thing they called them processes where, uh, we had to rate ourselves and like our, um, performance on the facility and uh, I was level four so I was supposed to be like really good um, and everybody else rated themselves over 80 percent and I was too humble or something and I rated myself a 75 um, and that was just yeah. they tore into me so it, it was kind of like the, the feedback thing but this was like 40 or 50 people just screaming in my face and I was in the middle and screaming in my face. And so then they said, well, you've chosen out of the seminar. And the language that they use is very manipulative. So they would tell your parents, oh, she chose out of the seminar. She chose not to do it. But really they were telling me I had to leave, right? So they walked me out and they put me in solitary um, for an hour or two. And I, I was like, fucking great. Like when I'm alone, nobody could hurt me. This is wonderful. Like, please just leave me alone forever, you know? Um, and then after two or three hours, they brought me back into that seminar and they did the same thing with the kids circling up and screaming at me uh, for I don't know how long. And then they took me back to solitary and then a few hours they brought me back in. I think the first day it was four out, four times they brought me back. So, I mean, I don't like what happens even just to your body when you're in a situation like that. Um, I just remember my face hurt like really, really bad. And just my whole body felt sore, but like uh, toxic, you know, I think it was just uh, stress hormones were so bad anyway. Yeah. So after the fourth time, they took me back to solitary and I guess they forgot about me because <laughs> I, you know, they didn't, I didn't get dinner. Um, fine. Well, I, like I can skip a meal. I don't care. Right. But um, I was in a fleece, and this is Montana in the winter, so it was really, really cold, and whatever little room I was in was not heated. Um, and uh, there was no bathroom, and I really had to pee, so there was a, a little um, plastic garbage can. And so I peed in the garbage can, and, you know, I tried to, like, kind of wow. call out, like, hey, I just have to go to the bathroom. Can I please go to the bathroom? Nobody came. Um, and then, you know, the sun went down and no dinner and, and nobody came to get me. And then, uh, all I had was my seminar binder and I just, you know, tried to sleep with the binder as a pillow and on this hard, you know, at that industrial, like really hard carpet, no blanket or anything. I didn't sleep, I don't think, but I mean, the whole time, all I could think about was just, and it was really I can't even say I felt sad. It was just like shell shocked. And then the next morning, uh, the director Cameron came in and 
you could see that he was really worried. <laughs> you know, I mean, because that's obviously illegal, right? Leaving a kid uh, yeah. with no food, no bedding, no bathroom break um, in a cold, you know. And and I think probably he knew that after what I'd been through, I was pretty idle. So uh, he came in and I could see that he was really worried. And then I could just see the relief like flow over his face. He's like, oh, no, this is Cammy. Cammy will never tell anyone. Cammy won't make a fuss. Like, it's mm. fine. Everything's fine. Um, and then the seminar facilitator, his name was Dwayne Smotherman. Um, he came in and just tried to intimidate the shit out of me. For what purpose? Mm, I think he also knew that uh, this could be the source of a lot of trouble for the program. If I, if I, even when I left, if I said something about it. Uh, and so I think that he was just really trying to drive the point home that, uh, I deserved that and that I had brought it on myself and it was my fault for, uh, for rating myself 75 when I should have done 80 or whatever. And, and I remember I was sitting on the floor, the same floor I'd slept on and he was in a chair and he's like six foot five or something. And he's like screaming down at me, you know, and I'm just like, cool, dude, like you win. I get it. I deserve everything. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm. You know, it's it, all, all of these stories that, that you're sharing, Cammy. first of all, thank you for, for being so candid uh, and so honest. Uh, Cause I know that takes a lot of courage because this kind of stuff is incredibly difficult to talk about. I know that uh, from, from personal experience, uh, you know, after, after spending a, a year and a half in, in this environment, um, when you, when you finally got out, what, what was that experience like finally, you know, being removed from this facility? I, I know we carry a lot of that, that trauma with us. Um, and it takes a long time to work through. And it just so happens that you're a van lifer, uh, very nomadic, which, it, you know, for, uh, for people that have experienced trauma, it seems like that's kind of a lifestyle that they gravitate towards. But you, you know, what, what was that like once you were finally out of the the, the program? Um, so, uh, by the time I was out, I was, I mean, I don't even know if you can call it brainwashed, but I just like, it's funny because when you're in something like that, your mind does things to kind of protect you, I guess. Uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, I was pretty, pretty brainwashed. And, and honestly, I was scared. I was scared to go home. Even though I, I don't think I had been in a great deal of danger when I was at home while I was there in the program, you know, they like you get, you get rewarded for making very dramatic statements. For example, you know, if you were to say, oh, if I wasn't here, I'd be dead. Oh, I was an addict. Oh, you know, oh yes, I was a virgin, but I was on my way to like, you know, I would have turned to like prostitution. -y. Like that you just, if you make those really dramatic uh, statements, you're uh, rewarded for them. So, and if you say things over and over and over again, they start to feel really true to you. And I remember um, Cameron, the director, I used to babysit his kid all the time, like three or four days a week. My grandparents were paying $3,000 a month for me to be in a program so I could babysit the director's kid because he trusted me. Wow. He knew that I was not a bad kid. You know, he had, he had cigarettes and alcohol in his house and I never, you know, I was, yeah. Like, so even he said to me, and this was, 
probably a year before I graduated. He said, Cammie, if you went home tomorrow, you'd be fine. But I, they had me pretty convinced that I was so fucked up that I was never going to be okay. Um, so, so yeah, so I went through the whole program. Um, I, and all the seminars and level six, and I still feel like I haven't even really described what it was like there. Just every minute of your day was scheduled and, you know, everything was, yeah. You didn't make any choices. Like everything was just chosen for you. So going home was really scary. Um, and I, they had you make a home contract, which was supposed to kind of like have rules for you to live by when you went home. And I, mine was really, really strict. And, you know, it was approved by all the program staff and approved by my mom and everything. And I went home and, and within like a day, my mom was like, Psh, we don't need this. You know, she was like, this is stupid. Like, I, I really? trust you, you're cool. You can do whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, which just also kind of shows that she did not know what she had sent me to, you know what I mean? Cause she was just like, whatever. Um, my friends, my friends showed up on my doorstep, maybe a day after I'd gotten home, really excited to see me. I mean, there were so many rumors that I had gotten kidnapped, that I had, you know, gone to juvie, that I was pregnant and I was, you know, somewhere else or whatever. So my friends found out I was home, showed up on my doorstep and I like open the door and I look at them and I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, have you guys been smoking? That was the first thing I said to my friends. <laughs> I would not allow them into my house because the program convinced you everything I was before the program, everything I liked before the program, all of the people that I was with before the program were non-working. That was what past Cami chose. So it must be horrible. It must be bad. Right. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hang out with my friends. Um, just like went and made all new friends. I asked a new friend from that period, you know, we're still friends now. And, and I said, what was I like, you know, when you met me? And she goes, mm, a little weird. She's like, the thing I really remember, she's like, you turned to me one day and you're like, why is everybody being so nice to me? <laughs> she's like, cause we mm. like you, <laughs> you know, but I just wasn't used to not being held under the gun anyway, though. Um, but I did like, I went to BYU Hawaii, which is a Mormon college. Uh, mm -hmm. and I, you know, I kind of slowly returned to my rebellious ways. I didn't smoke weed cause that was illegal, you know, but I drank a couple times while I was there and I did, Oh my God, I had sex, you know, uh, in college. But I was convinced all the time that I was going to be sent back to the program. So uh, mm. first of all, I think my first inkling that maybe the thing that I had gone through like wasn't kosher, like wasn't great, was in a psychology class, we learned about the Stanford prison experiment. Are you familiar with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep, so it's absolutely. basically, you know, at Stanford, Zimbardo was his name. I can't remember his whole, full name, but this professor Zimbardo brought these kids together and separated them. You're the guards, you're the inmates. And the guards started horribly abusing the inmates within days. And um, we were supposed to write a, a paper about this experiment. And I, again, it was like this where I just, I wrote this paper. I felt, I, I kept catching myself like I wasn't breathing when I wrote it, but I wrote about the program. And I was like, I've experienced this. Like I've been in this situation. I've been both an inmate and a guard. Um, and I abused and I was abused. And, uh, 
and and you know, I turned in the paper and I I remember I got a really good grade, but the teacher never said anything to me. He wasn't like, Are you okay? Like something's wrong with you. Um and then I remember also the first time that I uh flew home from Hawaii to visit my mom. Uh she I got in the front seat and she had a water bottle in her, you know, cup holder, and on the water bottle it said Spring Creek. And like before there was even time for conscious thought, my entire body reacted and I was not moving my head too much, but I was looking in the rear view mirror to see if there were two big men who were going to come get me. And I remember thinking, mm. okay, my purse is in the trunk or, you know, all my luggage is in the trunk, but I can probably get pretty far on foot. And if it looks like they're going to catch me, because this was Oakland Airport and there was an overpass kind of thing, I'll just jump off the overpass. And all of that went through my head wow. before like my prefrontal cortex like caught up. And um, by the time like I wasn't breathing again and, and my mom had started driving and, and she turns to me, she goes, why are you being so quiet? Like you're not saying anything. And I just said, uh, I was like, mom, I saw that water bottle and I thought that you had met with the program again and that you were going to send me back. And she just laughed. She's like, what are you talking about? Like I was a straight A student. I was putting myself through college. Nobody was helping me. You know, there was no reason to believe that I would get sent back to the program. Um, and I, I mean, the most recent panic attack I've had, I had within a year, I'm 42. That happened when I was 16. Um, you know, or I was sent to the program when I was 16. Um, but I was at a, at a doctor's appointment and, and something triggered. I don't know what it was, but I started, I mean, it wasn't really like a, an outward panic attack. It was just all inside. And the doctor who was just this really intuitive black lady, like I love her. She just turned and she goes, what is going on with you right now? She's like, something is wrong. And, and I just said, I'm so sorry. I've, I've had a bad experience and I, I'm just like triggered. And she just like, grabbed me and she just goes, you're in a safe space right now. And I was like, Oh God, are you sure? You know, but, uh, but to have wow. that still happening this many years later is like, I mean, it's embarrassing, but. Oh, I don't think it's embarrassing at all. Cammy. I think, yeah. you know, you've, you've been through something that traumatic, um, that stuck with you for that long. And, and it's very clear to me that, that you've done a lot of work to, to try to process through and work through that trauma and some of it, it just sticks with you. And it still brings yeah. up a lot for me when I talk about being locked in solitary confinement for a week um, and, and how I uh, severely abused drugs and alcohol after, after that experience uh, to try to uh, forget. Um, and, and so, yeah. you know, the, the emotion that, that gets tied to that and, and the way that it can put your body in that, that fight or flight mentality, uh, it's, um, I don't, I don't know. I think we, uh, we just kind of take it one day at a time and, and try to work through as, as much as we can, but recognize that, you know, it's a, it's a lifelong process sometimes. Well, I have to say, like, I lived the shit out of my twenties and thirties, like, you know, and I, and I really kept all the program stuff on the back burner. Um, I mean, I lived in Hawaii. I lived in Italy. I lived in Taiwan for seven years. Um, and, and actually one of my therapists was, well, the only therapist I've really had um, since the program, she was like, I think part of the reason you lived in Taiwan is because you felt safer there. And I did, I was like, yeah, mm -hmm. I totally did. I knew they weren't going to lock me up. You know, as long as I like followed the laws, I wasn't going to get locked up.
Um, and so, uh, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's just funny. Cause I, you know, I did all that. I've done van life for eight years. Um, I always worked remotely. So that was really cool, you know? Um, but now that I'm in my forties, I'm like, I actually don't feel, uh, like I'm doing very well, you know, like I'm not oh. super thrilled with where I'm at in life. And, and that's kind of, I think part of what sort of led me back to look like, okay, why can't I work a corporate job? Why are relationships so incredibly uncomfortable for me? I just want to run immediately. As soon as somebody wants to get close to me, I'm just like, Ugh, like, stop that. Right. Um, like having a job, if somebody's observing me every day, that's like incredibly, it, I can't tolerate it. It's really painful. It's, uh, I can't handle it. So having a remote job and living van life, like I call my van, my escape pod. I'm like the second, if things get hairy, I can just get in and drive my whole house away. Like I'm never stuck anywhere. I'm never stuck with scary roommates or landlords or a boss or anything. Um, but I'm also like, I think that that mentality also keeps me from, you know, some of the things that really give most people's lives a lot of meaning like family and, uh, and yeah, like a career that matters and relationships and community. So I think I, I kind of call my forties, my like, why am I like this decade? Like where you look back and you go, okay, why am I like this? And you know, all roads kind of lead to the program. <laughs> like every time I try to mm. figure out like what is going on with me, I'm like, Oh shit, that's from the program. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting, Cammy, cause, um, you know, my, one of my really good friends, Bryce, uh, who did a podcast series with me on the cult that, that he and I both grew up in. I listened to you guys today. You guys it, are hilarious together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's interesting because Bryce has that same perspective where, you know, he's in his forties. He feels like he hasn't accomplished any of, of what he wanted to, right. He feels very lost, uh, at times. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he feels like he hasn't succeeded the way that he wants to. Um, and you know, it's, it's so interesting that growing up with, those extremely controlling mechanisms in place, you tend to feel lost a little bit once you get older. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, the thing that I've shared with Bryce and, and many people have, have shared with, with Bryce uh, through the podcast was give yourself grace and, and recognize that, that it is a process and you are right where you're supposed to be in this moment. Um, oh, and, and the no. most that, that we can do is is <laughs> continue putting one foot in front of the other you know i just feel like for the opportunities that i've had and for you know like i was a smart kid i was good at school i just feel like i should be doing so much more and like i said i lived the crap out of my 20s and 30s man i did i traveled i did everything um but yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. I, and I don't really give myself grace. I want more. Um, and I, you know, since I'm not Mormon anymore, I believe this is it. This is my one chance at life. Mm. I want to do something with it. So that's kind of where I'm left trying to figure that out. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not thrilled with it. Cami, I, I know we've talked about so much today. Um, and, and it's been just an absolute roller coaster. And I, I wanted to say again, how much I appreciate you sharing all of this with us. Um, it's, it's just, uh, it's so impactful. And, and I think there's people out there that need to hear your message. Um, is there a, is there a way that people can follow you on, on social media? Do you have any channels that, um, that you'd like people to, to find you on? You know what? That's so funny today. I was like, everybody always asks that at the end of podcasts and I'm not, I'm not like a big social media person. I'm just not very active on that stuff. Um, but I just created on Instagram, um, a, an Instagram account called we were programmed. So it's W E W E R E P R O G R A M M E D. Um, that's actually the working title for the book I'm writing. I feel the best when I'm writing about the program, like when I'm writing it all and just getting it out and just feeling like I captured it, you know, and put it on paper. So I, so I am writing a book about the program. Um, but I, I just created that account. I have not even posted a single post on it yet, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm preparing one right now that actually talks about you know, the crossroads between the program, and the Mormon church, because I grew up Mormon, I'm ex-Mormon now. And I have a lot of like thoughts about why the Mormon church create and why so many of these programs are in Utah. Well, thank you again. I think I've said thank you like five times now, Cami, but, but truly thank <laughs> you for taking this time uh, to sit down and talk with us. Um, it, it's just, um, it's so powerful uh, what, what you have to say. And, and I'd love to have a, a follow-up conversation about this. Um, but thank you again for your time. Uh, thank you for being honest. Thank you for being courageous. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Y'all, please like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, we will see you again next week. We love you. Bye.